Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Wednesday, July 15th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the State Medical Association calls for a statewide mask mandate as Mississippi's hospital system remains strained. Then... This this veto, first of all, is just grandstanding, and secondly, it causes real-world problems for the poor souls out here that are trying to run school districts. The governor says his veto of the education budget bill is over the school recognition program. A member of the Senate Education Committee claims there's more to it. Plus, after a Southern Remedy Health Minute, a look at child car safety in the Mississippi heat. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi has the largest number of people hospitalized with the coronavirus since March, and many of the state's hospitals have no space in their intensive care units. This is prompting a group representing nearly 5,000 physicians and medical students across Mississippi to call for a statewide mask mandate. The Mississippi State Medical Association says the daily number of COVID-19 cases has been rising at alarming rates, and it's crippling major hospitals and their ability to provide emergency care. Dr. Clay Hayes, president of the State Medical Association, says the virus does not stop at the county line. It's important as we try to protect all citizens of our state that we do everything we can. Uh, I know that we currently have a mandate just involving 13 counties, but it's our opinion that we need to cover the whole state because the virus does not know county boundaries and we need to uh, cover as many people as we possibly can. You know, the citizens, they don't just stay in one county. A lot of people move whether they have a job or they go to a, uh, you know, see a friend or something, you know, have to go to a store to get some, some something to eat or what have you. They, they are going to move across county lines. So that's why we think it ought to be statewide. Governor Tate Reeves is aware of the association's recommendation and acknowledges they have similar goals. But Reeves says he believes a targeted approach, like the current executive order that places tighter restrictions on 13 Mississippi counties, is the best way to maximize adherence. Those individuals at the State Medical Association and I have um, the, the same goal, 
And the same goal is that uh, we increase the number of people in our state that are wearing masks. Um, we may not 100% agree on the best way to accomplish that. Uh, you know, I, I know that uh, every dentist I know uh, wants 100% compliance uh, for every kid to brush their teeth every single night. Um, some kids, if you tell them you have to brush your teeth, they just won't do it. It's just the reality of where we find ourselves. And we believe shining a light on those counties uh, will help get compliance in those counties. The reality is that if we just issue a statewide mandate, there are going to be people in our state who say, well, I'm in Tishomingo County, and he just did that because things are really bad in Hines County, and so I'm not going to necessarily adhere to it. Our goal has to be how do we get the best, highest number of individuals adhering to wearing a mask when they're in public. Dr. Hayes of the Medical Association says he believes Mississippians want to follow the laws and a blanket mandate eliminates confusion and makes it easier for residents to do so. I think people want to follow the law. We have certainly the majority of people are law-abiding citizens and and that's the direction we want to try to lead them. When we when we just do uh, one county or the other, it causes or creates confusion and so if we just have uh, you know, blanket mandate, it's much easier to follow. And, I mean, nobody wants to mandate this, but we need to mandate this, and, and people need to follow the rules. And, and I think they will once they've had a chance and they understand what we're trying to do. It's important to do three things. Mask or uh, having everyone wear a mask is, is great. Uh, the six-foot social distancing is important, but also hand-washing. It's really important for people to wash their hands um, so, we don't, so we don't spread the disease. For Reeves, the message since the beginning of the pandemic is to ensure Mississippians have access to care. He has often emphasized emphasized personal responsibility and has shown reluctance to order highly restrictive measures. He says his current order is in line with that goal and recognizes the need for residents and health care facilities to make sacrifices. Our ultimate goal, as it has been throughout this process, is to ensure that every single Mississippian that can get better with quality care receives that quality care and so um, we're going to take whatever steps necessary to, to make that become a reality um, that includes slowing the spread so that includes sacrifices being made by all three million Mississippians it also includes sacrifices being made within our own health care system um, and by the way I want to go ahead and disp- dispel another myth that seems to be out there there is no health care community or healthcare hospital or healthcare provider that is getting rich off of COVID patients. Let me just be they are a money loser. Okay, they're not they're not classifying someone COVID so that they can get this huge amount of a windfall. But we have some in the system that rather than treating patients are diverting them to other hospitals. But and, and I recognize that having a COVID positive patient, particularly one in the ICU and on a ventilator, is extremely challenging for facilities. But the fact is we're all going to have to make sacrifices here and, and we're going to have to continue uh, to work to find um, ways in which to treat these patients. Mississippi is experiencing its highest hospitalization rate since the first case of COVID-19 was reported on March 11th. ICU bed and ventilator utilization are also at their highest. State Health Officer Dr. Thomas Dobbs says the challenges are jeopardizing patient care. 
Today, there are 10 ICUs in Mississippi that have zero beds available. Um, it's become a real issue, and I've heard some uh, bizarre anecdotal stories about people trying to get access to, to uh, medical centers transferred from ERs. They just can't do it, unfortunately. So it's really tight. There's a lot of challenges to the system. Um, it is harming patient care, and it's not just COVID. It's, it's very much people who don't have coronavirus. If you have a heart attack or a stroke or, or whatever, or pneumonia or whatever you have, if you don't have an ICU bed or you don't have a hospital bed, you don't have a hospital bed. 25 hospitals in Mississippi have less than 25% capacity, um, as outlined in the executive order, and uh, 21 hospitals have less than 25% capacity um, in normal medical surgical uh, hospital beds. Continuing challenge, we anticipate ongoing tightness within the hospital system, so um, we'll continue to work aggressively with our hospitals and work on our, our system of care plan. Mississippi's health department has reported 9,639 cases of COVID-19 in the first 14 days of July alone. That's more than the state reported during the first two months of the pandemic. The state now has reported a total of 37,542 cases of the disease since March 11th, with 1,272 related deaths. Coming up, the governor says his veto of the education budget bill is over the school recognition recognition program. A member of the Senate Education Committee claims there's more to it. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. No matter if you use an app to start your car or still have a flip phone, Everyday Tech can decipher today's technology for tomorrow's solutions. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or the MPB public media app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Schools in Mississippi are scheduled to resume in a matter of weeks, but state leaders still haven't finalized an education budget. Governor Tate Reeves vetoed parts of the education budget bill last week, and the legislature is in hiatus due to a coronavirus outbreak. The day he vetoed the bill, Governor Tate Reeves said it was to protect the school recognition program. We've got to fix this, and I think that there's general consensus Uh, amongst most that there is a desire to make sure that the school recognition program is funded at the level that it is supposed to be funded at. But Senate Democrat Bob Bryan, a member of the Education Committee, says the governor's veto goes deeper than that. In a conversation with our Michael Guidry, Bryan details the bill and the parts vetoed by the governor. The governor's veto was neither necessary nor sufficient to to deal with this uh, supplementary supplementary program that he's concerned about. It's my understanding that once this was brought to the attention of the legislature, the legislature agreed, as it were, that we had made a mistake and that we should have funded this $26 million and that as soon as we can get in session and do that, we will fund the $26 million. It's my understanding the governor was made aware of that before he ever vetoed the bill. This This veto... First of all, it's just grandstanding. And secondly, it causes real-world problems for the poor souls out here that are trying to run school districts. So let's talk about uh, the veto. Uh, as, it, as it stands, the governor vetoed three subsections of, of Section 1 of the bill that provided funding to the MAEP, to the Chickasaw Session, and to the Mississippi School of the Blind and Mississippi School of the Deaf. 
That's right. The way the bill was drafted, the governor could constitutionally veto five things. He could have vetoed the money to go to the State Department to pay for the people in that tall building in Jackson. He did not veto that. He could have vetoed the vocational education money, which also goes to people in the tall building in Jackson. He did not veto that. What he chose to veto was, number one, the Chickasaw Session money, which goes up here to northeast Mississippi to school districts, directly to school districts, to make up for the 16th section land we don't have. Number two, he vetoed the adequate education program, which is the $2 billion program that's the basic funding mechanism for every school district in the state. And number three, he vetoed the money for the school for the deaf and the blind. What he didn't veto is, with, with all of his discussion and concern for bureaucracy and, and administrators, so he says, he vetoed the money that's going to the schools to pay the teachers, but he didn't veto the money going to the Department of Education to pay the bureaucrats. Where does the money for the school voucher program, uh, what part of the, the appropriations bill does that money fall under? The way that particular program works for the vouchers is that money goes to the State Department of Education and flows to the voucher program through the State Department of Education. And that money was not touched? That's correct. A lot of people are familiar with the MAAP and that it is the general funding source for Mississippi schools. You mentioned that one of the other things that was cut was the Chickasaw Session. Why is that funding extremely important for school districts in the northeastern part of the state? The 16th section land that was in this particular session by the Chickasaw Indians was sold by the legislature, put into a bankrupt railroad. Those funds were squandered, and for decades, the districts up here did without the 16th section land that every other school district in the state had. Uh, About 30 years ago, the legislature uh, passed legislation to send to the school districts in the Chickasaw session the average amount of 16th section land money that every other school district got on a per-student basis. So this is to make the school districts in this particular area on the same footing as the school districts who do have 16th section land. I have no idea why the governor chose to single out this huge area in, in north and northeast Mississippi and veto money going to those schools. It's now July. The school districts around the state, much like the state government, operate on a fiscal year that begins on July 1st. This budget has not been passed. How are how are school districts expected to operate during this kind of limbo period while they wait on their legislators and their governor to uh, approve their education budget? Well, the overwhelming problem for school districts is every district in its state to say in every district in the state to say the least, has its hands full. Every district is trying to figure out how to get school started, how to reopen, trying to plan for a budget year that's completely uh, unplannable. And now, on top of all that, the basic funding for your whole operation has been vetoed by the governor. It just creates chaos and makes it difficult to plan in a situation where the districts have an impossible situation. Anyhow, this is just adding insult to injury. Uh, more specifically, the the schools are expecting a check, a monthly check, sometime toward the end of July. Now, my understanding through hearsay is the governor has some convoluted way to get some money to some school districts somehow based on what he chooses to do. 
which is just going all the way around the world to solve a crisis, partially, that he created. So ultimately, you, know, you the legislature is on hiatus right now due to concerns over an outbreak. But how do you get this how do you get this settled? How does this get wrapped up and, and make sure schools across the state get funded? The legislature needs to get back into session. We need to override this veto. We need to pass an appropriation bill for the $26 million. It's a fairly simple, straightforward thing to do. But given the situation with the coronavirus and everything else, uh, that's difficult. We can get into session either by reconvening under the resolution that we passed or the governor can call a special session. But as soon as it is even halfway safe to do so, we need to figure out a way to get into session and fix this problem so that the school districts won't have to worry about this. They've got enough to worry about without adding all this confusion. Senator Hobb Bryan is a Democrat from Amory and a member of the Senate Education Committee. Senator Bryan, thank you so much. Thank you. Coming up after a Southern Remedy Health Minute, a look at child car safety in the Mississippi heat. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. If you ever miss one of our locally produced shows or want to simply hear it again, you can find what you need at mpbonline.org or download our podcast app to your smartphone. MPB programming is on your schedule at mpbonline.org. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and this is a Southern Remedy Health Minute. My wife and I both had to put off our uh, colonoscopies because of the virus. I think there's another alternative test, and is that right? Yeah, so colonoscopies, of course, are the test that's been used, and it's actually the best test for uh, catching early colon cancer or polyps that would predispose you to getting colon cancer. And uh, it's not pleasant to do the clean out. Uh, You're asleep when you have it done, so that part's not that big a deal relatively low risk for most of everybody, uh, but that's the best thing to do because you can see those areas that are abnormal and you can do something about it, whether that's, you know, sort of clipping that polyp off, send it off for, for testing for cancer. So the earlier you catch those kinds of things, the better. If you can't do it, like right now with COVID-19, we're trying to decrease the amount of patients who are coming in and out. There are a couple of other things out there. One is called a FIT test. So this is an immunochemical test that looks at DNA uh, that we shed in our gut uh, for certain things. And uh, it's pretty useful when you combine it with some other things. It doesn't take the place of the colonoscopy, but it certainly is a test that you can get. It's pretty easy to do. The kit goes home with you. You put the stool on in that little uh, apparatus, you send it off through the mail, and the test result goes back to your doctor, and it's not invasive in any way. And when you combine that with also testing the stool for occult blood, so this is blood that you can't see, but it's small amounts of blood that we can test chemically in the stool. 
when you combine those things together, then you get a pretty good screening tool. It can at least provide you a little bit more protection on catching things early. For more health tips and medical information, listen to Southern Remedy each weekday morning at 11 on MPB Think Radio. A contractor ever tell you of the price of something and it sounds so high you think, eh, maybe I'll try it myself. Some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Heat stroke is the leading cause of non-crash vehicle-related deaths in children across the U.S. That's according to Safe Kids Mississippi. These deaths are often caused when children are left in hot cars during the sweltering heat of summer. Elizabeth Foster is with Safe Kids Mississippi. She shares more with MPB's Ashley Norwood. Unfortunately, the data for um, heat stroke fatalities in cars has been recorded since 1998, and you would think with awareness and education that those numbers would go down each year. Unfortunately, there's been a drastic uptick, and there's a number of confounding factors on why we think that has happened. But um, it's the leading cause of non-crash vehicle-related deaths, and Mississippi actually ranks number one per capita for um, these deaths. So based on cases um, that you know nationwide, statewide, are you seeing more adults who intend to harm kids, or is it just as simple as an adult who just honestly made a mistake, an adult that's moving and busy and, and just forgot? What are you seeing? That is the main message to give to parents, is it happens to the parents who think they, that it will never happen to them. And one thing that I share is my very own story. I've been working in my field of uh, unintended injuries for children for over 13 years. But I I have one child that is 22 years old, but then I have a 7-year-old. And so here I was with a senior and a newborn, and I am guilty of getting on the interstate, heading to work, my normal routine, and then I look in my rear view and I see two eyes looking at me. And it was because I forgot to drop my child off at daycare. And so, you know, just the everyday of life happens and it, ha- it, it is not bad parenting. It's just that break in routine. Talk to me about why children are so vulnerable, um, and, and I'm, I know it's the makeup of the child. And and also, you know, if a child is left in a car, like what's happening internally um, to them that's that, you know, allows them to get to the point where they, they're either experiencing symptoms or, even worse, perishing? Well, um, whether a child is left in the car intentionally or unintentionally, because we do have many cases, especially now with COVID, where parents say, okay, well, I'm just running in the store, or I just need to run inside this building. One thing to note is that a car can heat up an additional 20 degrees in 10 minutes. So it may, it can even be a 70 degree day, but with the sun out in 10 minutes, that car is down 90 degrees. And the um, problem for smaller children is their internal body temperature. 
once it's raised, it's very hard for a small child to control their body temperature. Not to mention um, younger children, they just, they don't have the foresight to say, okay, well, let me open the door and get out of the car. And more than likely, in some cases, even the child lock is on. So if a, car, a child was to be in the car, accidentally get into the car, they can't get back out. So what are some of the the top safety tips that you think um, Mississippians need to know in order to avoid such a tragedy like that? Well, the universal practice for keeping children um, free of heat stroke or being left in the car is uh, the acronym ACT. The first is to avoid the heat stroke altogether. Don't decide, okay, I'm going to run into a store, I just need to grab milk or I just need to grab something and leave the child in the car. Because remember, 10 minutes, that car has already heated up and so many things can happen or you get distracted once you're inside of the business. Uh, Next is to create reminders. So, for instance, one thing I would do um, when I first had my son was I told my babysitter, if he isn't dropped off by 9.30 a.m., I need you to call me. Or if we give dad or grandma or anyone else who is not in their routine, if they're responsible for the baby that day, you know, build that relationship or uh, encourage a policy or even set an alarm on your phone to say by 9.30, let me make sure the baby has been dropped off. The other thing you can do is put something in the back seat that you need. For me, it was my purse. I started putting my purse in the back seat because what woman is going to get out without her purse? And the other thing you can do is uh, just take action. You know, we encourage, it takes a village to raise a child, and we need the entire village to just be aware of when they see children, you know, in the cars, at the stores. Take action and call 911 if you see a child that's locked in a car. Well, Elizabeth Foster with Safe Kids Mississippi, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Okay, thank you, Ashley. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.